Well, at this very minute, microorganisms in your gut are impacting how you think and how you behave. Think about that before you start blaming others for being on your nerves at home tonight. Bowel health, probiotics, fecal transplants, gut health really isn't the sexy side of medicine, but it is an increasingly important one, impacting everything from your allergies to obesity. Your ancestors had 50% more ancestral biome than you do today due to environmental pollution, the foods and the medicines you've been putting into your gut, together with other health factors. Sarah Schenk is one of the producers of this new documentary, The Invisible Extinction. Sarah, welcome to you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Do you think the ick factor has slowed not only our interest in the area, but science as a whole? Uh, I do. I think that uh, the ick factor around uh, using poop is both a diagnostic as well as a therapeutic. And what that means is that uh, using poop to tell us what might be wrong with us if we're sick and also using poop as a way to cure or treat illnesses has a big yuck factor. Uh, and there's a reason for that. I mean, historically, um, mixing poop in our water could make us super sick. That's one of the ways we got would get cholera and transfer uh, other really bad diseases between people. But what we know now is that poop is actually, it is, it is possible to cure illnesses with poop as well. The ancestral biome sounds like a wonderful artisanal sourdough starter or recipe, but do we all come with a fresh set of microbiota when we're born? Is that how it works? Oh my gosh, that's such an excellent question, Andy. Um, yes and no. Yes, in the sense that every uh, baby in utero is virtually sterile. And I say virtually because it seems like there may be one or, you know, a little tiny bit of um, microbes that do go into, uh, to get into the amniotic fluid and onto the baby that way. But for the most part, a baby inside the mom is in a sterile environment and sterile meaning there are no microbes in there for the most part. And it is only when a baby is born through, if you go through the birth canal and we're born vaginally, that's called the inoculum, and you are swathed with your mom's excellent microbes that have been changing during the course of her pregnancy to adapt you to the outside world. So a woman's microbes in her vaginal canal change dramatically during the nine months of pregnancy to optimize the baby for adapting to life uh, outside of the watery environment of the uterus. Now, if you're born via C-section, you get exposed to your first microbes through um, the operating room, through um, the midwife's or physician's uh, gloves, um, and through those environmental microbes. And it, it turns out you have a real different microbial profile that endures for some time. Uh, there's a disagreement about how long it endures, but you look different uh, microbially if you're a C-section baby versus if you're born vaginally. One of the major concerns of this documentary is how the overuse or overprescription of antibiotics is creating uh, resistant diseases like C. diff. We know that the reliance on antibiotics can cause more harm in the long run. Do, do you think humans have been short-sighted in the way we use antibiotics? I'm afraid so. And 
antibiotics are one of the greatest miracles of modern medicine, and we need them desperately to cure all sorts of diseases that, uh, like if everything from strep throat to uh, more severe diseases. So the thing about antibiotics from the dawn of the era, uh, Louis Pasteur envisioned that there would be resistance. That is that as we killed bugs, killed dangerous organisms with antibiotics, that they would learn to defeat those antibiotics. So the more we use antibiotics, the faster those bad bugs, what we call pathogens, develop a resistance to them. And unfortunately, those, those um, resistance genes have been building up faster than we've been developing new antibiotics. So yes, we need to be really careful with our use of antibiotics. So we only use them when absolutely necessary. In the United States, about half of the antibiotics that are prescribed to human beings are medically useless. And what that means is that they're being prescribed to people who don't have an illness that will respond to antibiotics. Like if you have the, the flu or if you have a cold, those are viruses and they don't respond to antibiotics, which only kill bacteria. So you're doing, if you take antibiotics when you don't actually need them, you are doing damage to your good bugs without any possible benefit. So one of our goals in the film would be to see a reduction in the use of antibiotics for things that will not ever benefit people. I, I thought about it this morning when my daughter and I were leaving a cafe and it was such a hangover from the pandemic and a, and, and a habit like muscle memory that we use the hand sanitizer as we left. And in thinking about your documentary and thinking about the human impact on the microbiome, I mean, antibiotics and hand sanitizers seem similar, although albeit different. That's a real world situation that many of us face with our kids every or ourselves every day. We're, you know, reflexively reaching for hand sanitizer when we enter or exit any particular environment. In terms of what you said about, is it the same as antibiotics? Those are orders of magnitude different. And what I mean by that is when you take a course of antibiotics, which you may need to do, I've had to do with my kids certainly for their good health, you know, the antibiotics carpet bomb your good microbes. Hand sanitizer is going on externally on your hands. It's not, it doesn't have uh, anything like the effect of antibiotics on your gut. In fact, hand sanitizer never gets to your gut organism. So the big, um, the big mother load of our microbes is in our intestines, in our guts. And that's where we really want to be careful using antibiotics when we don't need them, because the antibiotics kill the good bugs and the bad bugs. And in killing the good bugs, it allows, um, it allows bad bugs then to come back in an unhealthy, um, unhealthy perfusion. Allow me to ask a perhaps an even more provocative question. You use a, a case study of a young boy in China who has autism and behavioral issues. Now, several studies have made the connection between uh, these and, and gut health, but it has to be said, this is still a relatively new idea and more or less inconclusive so far. So did you feel like you had to be particularly careful here, given the erroneous uh, reporting and theory that vaccinations could cause autism and how that went through the media like wildfire. We did, Andy. We 
we realized that there was a, a risk in reporting uh, on autism because there's there is a lot of misinformation out there, and we didn't want to um, we didn't want to be part of that sharing of uh, wrong information. That you know, speaking as a mom of kids who have some chronic illnesses, it's very scary and. Parents and families deserve to have evidence-based information. So when we put the autism story in the film, on the one hand, it's an important illness in that it is growing. And there's a lot of kids who are whose lives and their families' lives are affected by this. We are also aware that there is, a, at least in the United States now, there is a movement of people who are like, this is just a different way of being. This is not a disease. This my child or I don't need to be cured of something. It's we have a different way of being in the world, and so thank you, but no thank you. We we're not looking for a cure. So I understand that um, point of view, and I our film in no way wants to make people um, um, kind of other people who have autism. Having said that, there are families and individuals who are looking to have the symptoms of autism, whether it's GI distress or issues with interpersonal interactions, they would like to have a way to manage those better. Fecal transplants in the story seem to be uh, a path forward, although what I can tell you from that story is the young boy who did experience significant improvement from those fecal transplants the benefits seemed to um, wear off when he no longer was getting the fecal transplants. So, you know, for all of, you know, one of the suggestions in the film is that his mom was ill during pregnancy and she took a bunch of antibiotics and then he was sick when he was born and he was treated with antibiotics and he probably would have died without those. So we have to be really careful when we're talking about when do you need antibiotics and when do you not want to use antibiotics. And we hope that our film is not seen as a definitive answer to these questions so much as a starting point for some exciting and important conversations. And, and I should add conversations that should always be uh, continued with the relevant medical professional. Uh, director and producer Sarah Shank is here. We're talking about her documentary, The Invisible Extinction, here on RN Drive. You talked about Maria, Dr. Maria Gloria Dominguez-Bello. Uh, your documentary focuses on uh, her storing and archiving uh, a collection of microbiobial samples. She even goes to survey an old military bunker in Switzerland as a possible storage facility. Right. It was very exciting for us to learn about Gloria's work spearheading the microbiota vault. And, uh, you know, she was inspired by the seed vault that uh, is in Norway and protecting all these, the diverse seeds of different different plants that are found all over the world with the similar idea that it's much harder to recreating to recreate something to recreate a type of bacteria or organism after you've lost it after it's gone extinct than to preserve it and then you know generate new ones from an existing um an existing sample that you've kept in a deep freeze so hopefully preserved it pretty much intact Despite all of the doom and gloom that you would have come across in the research for this very excellent documentary, I did get quite a hopeful 
outlook, an optimism, if if you like. Was that purposeful or are you perhaps a, a sort of optimistic type of person? <laughs> oh, you know, I'm going to say both, Andy. Uh, I am an optimist and I also feel like it is an era of very exciting developments. Australia is one of the leading countries in microbiome research. You have people doing work in the gut-brain axis, looking at how uh, our microbes affect our mood, affect depression and anxiety, looking at digestive illnesses. Like many, There's many, many people all around the world who are troubled by IBD and IBS, which are you know, difficult um, having, just to put it bluntly, constipation, diarrhea, Gut, uh, gut problems on a daily basis. There is great hope in finding microbial treatments for these chronic illnesses in addition to the ones that you see covered in our film, like obesity, food allergies, autism. You know, and asthma is another very fertile area for research. So we, we do think there's cause for hope. We also think the reason why I started making the film was because there were things that I wish that I had known when my kids were born, which, oh my goodness, is 18 years ago now. And I think that people deserve, I think it's a human right to have basic information about how our bodies function and just understand, like, it's great to have antibiotics. We're so lucky. It's one of the reasons our lifespans have expanded, um, you know, from, you know, average lifespan and being 40 or 50 years to now, you know, the average lifespan, I imagine in Australia, as well as the United States is into the 70s and even 80s for people. Antibiotics have been part of that miraculous expansion in the, the length of time we have on this planet. On the other hand, they, they come at a cost. There is collateral damage. And we want to know at times that we're particularly vulnerable to um, messing up our microbes and, and having possible consequences for our kids and our families. So we made this film in hopes of saving other people and families from some of the challenges that we've faced. And there's easy ways to do that. It's a very timely uh, documentary and very well told. The Invisible Extinction is part of the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, and it can also be streamed online. Sarah Shank, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Andy. It's been a real pleasure. You've been listening to a podcast of The Drawing Room with me, Andy Park. For more great conversations, search for The Drawing Room on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.